Welcome back to The State of Education with Melvin Adams. Today, our guest is Alvin Louie, founder and president of Courage is a Habit, an organization fighting against indoctrination in public schools. Alvin wants parents to understand that critical race theory and gender ideology often fall under the innocent name of social-emotional learning, commonly called SEL, and seeks to give parents actionable steps to take in protecting their children from the indoctrination and data mining taking place in the classroom. Social-emotional learning, or SEL, has become a hot button in today's educational conversations. What may sound like an effort with good intentions, you know, stuff like teaching kids to manage their emotions, develop healthy identities, and build their relationships, has become really a vehicle for devastating ideologies to indoctrinate kids about things like gender, race, and other very controversial things. Today, We're going to speak with one of our nation's leading voices for fighting unhealthy SELs in schools. Join me in welcoming Alvin Louie to this show. Alvin, welcome. Thank you, Melvin. How are you, sir? Doing great. Now, you told me a minute ago that you're in Indiana. I am. Uh, Let me just give a little bit more about you here to our audience so that they can kind of put that all together. Alvin is the president and founder of an organization called Courage is a Habit. It's an organization very much like Noah Webster Educational Foundation that really resources parents and and educators with actionable tools so that they can fight for their own children unapologetically. Courage is a Habit is especially keen on equipping parents to protect their kids from SEL surveys, gender identity, indoctrination, and vulgar books. Is that about right? That is correct. That is absolutely correct. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you got into this space. How did you get this organization started? So I'm originally from California. And so when I moved my young family to the Midwest, uh, we saw a lot of the same ideology that ruined California began here in the Midwest already. Um, But it was seeded pretty hard already and which is and, and in the same around the country, which is why we're seeing this explosion now across the country in education, because a lot of these seeds had already been planted um, underground. You just don't see it. And then when I got here, I saw it because I knew what to look for Sim, because in California, anything that everybody's fighting, we've already, we've already gone through that in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, that's why California's the way it is. That's why it's it, it, in such a, it's such an awful disarray. No. Um, anything from crime to drugs to the way they spend money and I mean, all of it, but that started mm-hmm. in the academics. It all starts in the academics and it starts in do- It's about indoctrinating children to make decisions that goes against their best interest. That goes against the best interest of merit of success of, of the American dream, American opportunity is teach kids that America is oppressive and needs to be torn down. At the end of it all, that's really what the goal of the K through 12 education system is. So I realized that I, I needed to do, try to create an organization that wasn't just focused on a local level, which is hugely important, but to empower parents to be able to fight at the local level. And so 
we courage is a habit creates tools and strategies for parents, grandparents, and legislators. And mm -hmm. we distill very complicated indoctrination tenants and programs down to information that any average parent can understand. Uh, we okay. focus on the parent that doesn't have 12 hours a week to dig into this stuff. And so, but the most important thing that courage is a habit does is to have a call to action after, after every tool, we have a call to action. We explain to parents, this is what you can do. One of the biggest drawbacks of what I saw before I started courage as a habit is uh, a lot of organizations will point out the problem. Some yeah. accurately, maybe some not so accurately, but even the ones who point it out accurately oftentimes do not leave the parents with an outlet. So what happens is you, you, you expose the, the problem and then, so they have to outrage, but there's no outlet Yeah, and outrage without outlet obviously, and, 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 and oftentimes works against the person eventually because they get hopeless. They feel hopelessness. Exactly. Yep. And so that's what the, the organization focuses on action beyond anything else. It's not just about sharing. I mean, sharing is important, talking about it's important, but you have to take action. You have to take physical action because if you don't, then the people, because the people that, that are, that are indoctrinating your children, they take action. They take mm -hmm. action against you and your children every single day. They don't yeah. just talk about the problem. They don't just get into a private Facebook group and say, oh, we're going to push this. No, no, they do it live in person on your mm -hmm. children and on you. So if all you're doing is sitting back, being afraid to speak up because someone might call you a label, oh, what if someone calls my job, someone, what if my kid at the basketball, you know, he's on the basketball team, what happens to him? If you're thinking that and you might not speak up, that's where they want you. And yeah. fear is a habit. Fear is absolutely a habit. And once you make that habit, it's very difficult to break out of it, which is why we see so many parents take so long to speak up. Mm -hmm. But once you make courage a habit, then nothing's going to stop you from standing up for your children, which is, which is what your God-given responsibilities are. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, so are you a 501c3 or? Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. And so um, you're based in Indiana. Right. You started out in California. Right. And uh, as you stated earlier, you've, you've already seen a whole progression of uh, really an invasion mm -hmm. of our schools and then ultimately communities in the whole state in California. Uh, yeah. But let's zero in just a little bit on what we call SEL, so social right. emotional learning. Okay. Uh, that's a term that is used an awful lot today. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of parents uh, may know what it is because we hear so much about it now, but maybe still a little un unsure and kind of confused about what in the world sure. are we really talking about. So right. dive into that just for a second. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you guys a question to ask, and then we can get into social emotional learning because it's very difficult. The reason why parents get so confused is because the schools and the organizations that push social emotional learning they push out so much in misinformation and, and, and language contamination mm -hmm. that it's, it's very difficult for parents, which is where we come in because we distill it down, the, the, the actual facts and truths of it. But forget social emotional learning for a second, okay? Okay. If I tell you that I'm teaching my eight-year-old empathy, 
Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you all this exercise and everybody listening to uh, this wonderful podcast or watching this with me and Melvin, I want you guys to do this exercise with me and Melvin. I want you to do the same thing. So I'm going to teach my eight-year-old daughter empathy. Now, remember she's not 18. So keep that in mind. Okay. So she's eight. I'm going to, I'm starting to teach her empathy. Everyone listening to me right now, I want you to take five seconds and in your mind to yourself, Melvin, I want you to say it out loud. What do you think that means? Go ahead, Melvin. She's eight. Empathy. What do you think that means? What am I teaching her? Well, for an eight-year-old, it's about caring for your sibling, uh, uh, having a sense of feeling for someone else that's nearby you, maybe your pet, uh, that, that compassion, okay. empathy. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So everyone listening, uh, you know, that, that are listening to this show, you probably thought something similar to what Melvin said to yourself, more than likely. Okay. All right. So, you know, school goes, we're just teaching empathy. That's all. Just empathy. Through social emotional learning, what they mean by empathy is they start in kindergarten and it's a 12 year brainwashing program. So that by the time your little girls, let's say 13, 14, 15, when a man or a grown man or a boy walks into the locker room or restroom or shower, drops his pants, and she gets that visceral reaction that she, that every girl should have. Mm-hmm. but she's trained to have empathy. Now, parents go, no, no, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, I, I don't mean that, but wait a minute though. Melvin, what did you just say? To have empathy for those close to you yeah. and to have compassion. Likely everyone that's listening to this thought something like put yourself in someone else's shoes, put your feelings, put their feelings before yours. But wait a minute, that's not what, that's not what I meant. I know that. Yeah. That's what they think too. Now that's what we call language contamination, okay? They use your vocabulary, but not your dictionary. They use your vocabulary, not your dictionary. So here's the one question I want to teach everyone listening. When the schools tell you we're just doing X, we're just teaching X and whatever that X, that virtue or that trait is, instead of going, oh good, I teach that at home too, like what you did with empathy. Mm -hmm. I want you to ask yourself this one question. Through whose lens is it being taught? Yeah. Okay. Through whose lens is it being taught? Like in my example for empathy, you were assuming I was coming through a lens of a loving parent. Mm-hmm. They are coming through the lens of a critical race theorist or a transgender cult recruiter. I want every parent to understand this, and then I will explain why SELs fooled so many people and then the technical why it's taken over education. Traits. And virtues are not good or bad. As decent, kind people in a civilized society, we actually uh, put positive connotations over traits. But traits by themselves are not good or bad. Traits are neutral. It depends on who's teaching them and how they're being used. I will give you an example. After a long manhunt and a serial killer is finally arrested and everybody, oh, thank God, they, they arrested him. Nobody ever says, hey, that serial killer, he sets goals really good. He's a good goal setter. Even though all of us love goals, we don't we, we put positive connotations on goal setting. Right. But when he gets arrested, we don't say, hey, he sets really great goals. In fact, he even exceeded his goals, unfortunately. He has grit. He has determination. He went after his victim two or three times because, you know, he tried to stalk her and he couldn't get her alone. He kept coming back. He has grit. That guy has grit, determination. We don't say that about a serial killer. Why? Because we're kind, sane 
people, and we would not put that positive connotation. But if you strip away the horrificness of a serial killer, he did display those things. He had, yeah. he did have goals. He was grit. He was compassionate. Or not sorry, grit uh, uh, determination. Okay. Mm -hmm. So through whose lens is it being taught? All right. Social emotional learning. Just that term alone puts parents to sleep because they go, yeah, of course, social emotional learning. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to teach their child empathy or compassion or responsible decision-making? Again, through whose lens? When you're mm -hmm. talking about through the lens of a critical race theorist, which is what social emotional learning is, social emotional learning is critical race theory. Okay. It is a Marxist ideology. It uses something called cultural responsive teaching. Cultural responsive teaching is coined by a woman named Gloria Latson Billings, and she is one of the biggest critical race theorists. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest critical race theorists. Social emotional learning uses her culturally responsive teaching. And that's why if you look up social emotional learning and you look up what's in your school, it's all about equity, which is a heavy critical race theorist tenant. Right. Through the lens of a critical race theorist, responsible decision-making, again, through the lens, is not what you think. If you're white, your responsible decision-making is to vote for reparations. Is to white guilt, is to, appease, is to atone for your white guilt. That's your responsible decision-making because you're an oppressor. If you're not white, then your responsible decision-making is to tear down the systems of an oppressive America. So when you hear some of these older activists, some of these 21, 22, 25-year-old talk, it is the end of a 12-year brainwashing program. And it's mm -hmm. brought in through social emotional learning. Social emotional learning has taken over every permutation of K through 12. Now, how it works, that's where it gets a little more complicated. The way social emotional learning works is that it's based off competencies. There are five competencies and the school has to fulfill these competencies. And the way they show that they're fulfilling these competencies is by giving your children in-class surveys. They're data mining your children. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to let that sit for a second because a lot of parents don't know that. That's true. They data mine your children. They collect data. And I, at the very end of this, I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you how the single most important thing a parent can do is to opt their children out of the data mining is to throw a wrench. If you want to, if you want to throw a wrench into this indoctrination, uh, this, this program, get your children out of data mining because that's their bloodline. Now, the mistake that parents make when they hear surveys, and I, I can hear it already in my head for the people listening, let me see the questions. Nope, that's the wrong, that's the wrong, that's the bait. Because some of these, some of these questions are very sexual in nature. That's true, especially when it gets to the middle school, high school. But in the elementary and some of the early middle schools, the question seems kind of innocuous. It doesn't matter what the question is. So don't ask to see the questions because they won't show it to you anyway. They don't have to. That's the there's a private company giving these surveys and then they're collecting the data on your children. Then they're selling your data, your children's data. But that aside, seeing the questions doesn't matter. It's what they do with the answers. What they do with the answers is they put your children's answers through what they call an equity lens. Mm -hmm. Meaning that no matter how they answer, the solution is more social emotional learning, more representation, more equity, more diversity, more inclusion, which translates to more Black Lives Matter, more LGBTQ clubs, more transgender flags, more teachers that don't know if they're a boy or a girl so they can influence your children. Mm 
So it doesn't matter what the questions are. It's what they do with your answers. I will give you an example of a social emotional learning survey. So Melvin, here's, an, here's a question. What is your confidence level that you can complete all the work assigned to you in school? For me, pretty good, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but if you listen to, if you read that question, Melvin, you would go, okay, that's probably not, you know, that's fine. That's a decent question. You know, you child may say high confidence, low confidence, however they answer, you know, one through 10 or whatever. And then, you know, the lower scoring kids, maybe the teacher needs to teach them a little different. Maybe they're, you know, having some trouble finishing their homework and at home, they can work with the parents. No, that's what, again, through whose lens? Yeah. Your lens. Their lens is this. The children who answer low, it's because the school is oppressive. The school's oppressive. Look, more uh, more non-white kids say they're not confident as the, the white kids or the Asian kids, whatever. So the school's more oppressive. That's why they don't feel confident in completing because the environment, the system in the school is making them feel not belonging, not included, not inclusive enough. Let me just interrupt for a second because I think it goes beyond the school. A lot of times then who is being repressive? Is it the family? Is it the community? Is it their church? Is it there all of these things that play into right. that scenario? Well, but you're, you're absolutely right though. That's why education is everyone's problem because when they leave the school, they then take that same I, I, that same training. Now when they go to work and they don't get that raise or they don't get hired or they don't get that promotion or they don't get that assignment that they want, the company must be oppressive. Mm -hmm. the, the, the company's not inclusive enough. I don't have a boss that looks like me. My supervisor doesn't look like me. So the company needs to do more diversity and inclusion. So when you're, if you're working in a corporate environment and you have to take all this nonsense, you wonder where it comes from. It starts here in K through 12 and then through yeah. academia. Okay. That's how it connects. That's great. And uh, that's really very well put together. And thank you for doing that. Let's, let's just kind of step back for a second mm -hmm. and help parents understand. And even educators, a lot of people, you know, this has become such an, um, such a significant part of everyday life anymore. It's in many people's workspace. Yes. It's in certainly in, you know, in our schools, we know that. Um, and so for parents looking on and trying to understand, okay, where does this happen? Well, it happens by a very organized and systematic approach. So there are trainings where superintendents are pulled out and they are given these trainings and That's say, right. This is how we need to, this is how you need to lead your schools because it's at the end of the day, the focus is no longer about creating outstanding scholastics and so forth. It's about equity. It's about making everybody feel valuable. And it's about not about acumen. It's about how I feel about my own attitude to myself or somebody else's attitude to themselves. And, and, you know, maybe that's oversimplifying, but that's really kind of the focus. And so what's happening is now they're, they're starting with superintendents and school board members and so forth. Then those, they then implement training programs and all, and the teachers go into these programs That's and right. they are basically taught. And, and it's not all overt. 
Okay. A lot of this stuff is very covert and people hardly realize what they're getting into. Uh, But what they're doing is they're teaching kind of these basic things and how to work with students to make them feel a certain way. And then the curriculum comes in and the curriculum, as it is taught, gives those repetitive processes that you were just speaking about and those surveys that you were just speaking about that begins the implementation of all the data mining and all of the conditioned reflexes or uh, responses and and where the teachers now without even realizing it are are helping to create this this communal uh society that you know in the classroom that is really helping to create to help helping these entities with their objectives and at the end of the day it is a slow shifting in how we think, not only about ourselves, but about others, what our values, what our priorities are. And and it just gradually shifts. And as you were saying, you know, the eight-year-old versus the 13-year-old and that progression of where it takes them until when they hear things, it doesn't mean the same thing uh, as it does to the parent. The children are thinking in a completely different way. This episode of the State of Education with Melvin Adams was made possible by the generous support of donors like you. Here at the Noah Webster Educational Foundation, we want to make it easier for you to engage with your local government and school system. Whether you're a parent, educator, legislator, or simply a concerned citizen. Before we end today's episode, Here's a snippet of our next episode. So the surveys, the reason why it throws a wrench in the things is because the schools pay a ton of money, your tax dollars. They spend a ton of your tax dollars hiring these companies to do these surveys on your children. So that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more they survey your children, the more they can manipulate the data. And then every year they come back. School is oppressive. School is racist, homophobic, transphobic. Kids don't feel belonging. Kids don't feel included. We need more social emotional learning. And then they lower the academics, lower the behavior, screw the kids up, and then go, oh, kids' mental health is worse than ever. Curious how you can make a difference? Learn about more ways you can help by visiting our website at www.nwef.org. We'll see you next time on The State of Education with Melvin Adams.